Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. I am your host, Kevin McDonald, executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. And today is Friday, July 30th, 2021, the last day of the month headed into October. That means back to school, fall weather, all kinds of changing of the seasons And uh, we are hoping um, for all of you that things are going well as times are still difficult for all of us as we come out of COVID-19, if that's even the right way to describe it. We'll talk more about that in the show this week. This uh, episode is all about our line opinion panel from the show uh, this past week. We are thrilled to welcome back former Senator Dee Dee Feldman and also former House Minority Whip Dan Foley. They are joined by Crystal Ciarza of Ciarza Digital Group. And we've got some uh, just terrific conversations for you this week. And we usually bring you all of the line discussions in one episode because the line is where we are really the most flexible and able to respond to the news of the day. And uh, the biggest news really of the week was the raid of a House Floor Majority Leader, Cheryl Williams Stapleton, of her house and her business related to an alleged kickback scheme. Investigators with the Attorney General's office uh, conducted that raid. Um, And again, this has to do not with her role as a state representative, but her job with Albuquerque Public Schools. And we have learned that it was actually superintendent of APS, Scott Elder, who uh, made the inquiry to the attorney general's office to look into this, talking about a potential kickback scheme of millions of dollars over roughly a decade period of time. On Friday, we also got news that 13 APS employees are on paid administrative leave in relation to this investigation. So um, just a lot to digest on there for sure. And it uh, happened. All we really have to go on right now is the affidavit uh, for that search warrant that was issued. Uh, But it is chock full of a ton of information. And this will no doubt have major ripples throughout the legislature for sure. And so let's kick things off there. This is actually something we did this week as a warm-up for the show since it was so late breaking. But let's kick it over to Gene Grant and the line opinion panelists. I'm Gene Grant here in the studios of New Mexico PBS with our line opinion panelists joining me there on Zoom. We're about to record this week's show, but before we do, we like to warm up by taking a turn at other issues that are on our minds. Now, normally we would go around the table, but this week there are two specific issues we'd like to address. First, a massive development in the state legislature and APS, as investigators with the Attorney General's office raided the home and business of longtime legislator and House floor majority leader Cheryl Williams Stapleton. The investigation apparently surrounds Ms. Stapleton's financial relationship and possible kickback scheme with a vendor, Robotics Management Learning Systems, LLC. There's a lot left to know about the specifics, but what is your initial reaction? And Senator, I'll start with you. Um, what, what's your thought here? Well, it, it looks pretty massive, and I'm always so disappointed when a public official um, betrays trust uh, that was placed in them. And I think uh, 
regardless of, of um, what happens in the future, and this is going to go on for a long time, mm -hmm. uh, the public, and, and, she, and she may have uh, evidence uh, to prove to the contrary, but regardless, the perception has been cast mm -hmm. uh, that um, this is a, a top official in the legislature that um, that has uh, betrayed the public trust. And so there's going to be lots of ramifications in terms of um, what is the legislature going to do about any violation of the Governmental Conduct Act, about mm -hmm. proper disclosure of of her interests it's uh and and conflict of interest now keep in mind this is a procurement violation with aps not with the state gotcha. so it's a little bit different than if it had been uh with the state um and then the ethics commission would have been involved now it's going to be the ethics committee of the state legislature mm -hmm. uh which rarely meets, but it's going to be pressed into service this time. And I expect there will be um, hearings and uh, this will take up a great deal of time uh, as it as 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 it did back in the early 1980s when a representative uh, by the name of Ron uh, Ogin mm -hmm. was brought up and eventually censured on the floor of the House. So uh, we're just beginning. Mm -hmm. I think we're just beginning this process. Mm -hmm. Dan, I have to ask, you have been a, was a colleague of Ms. Stapleton for a long time. I mean, you know her personally, you've worked with her. I'm, I'm curious what your initial thought was when you heard the news. Well, you know, obviously, you know, everybody's innocent till proven guilty, right? I mm -hmm. mean, we, I, you know, I've always been an advocate of saying, you know, I, I'm not a fan of the, the, and I'm not accusing us of doing this or you doing this, Gene. I'm not a fan of the whole headliner headlines of how bad this is. And then later on, it goes away and nobody seems to see the headline about that. Right. It's always seems to be the negative side of it. So, you know, I, I, I've known Cheryl for 20 plus years. Uh, you know, she was she was a tough colleague to work with. You know, she was an advocate for the things she believed in. She would not hesitate to argue with you or get in a fist fight with you. She would draw the line and she was willing to stand strong. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she was definitely a hardworking legislator. Um, you know, what I will say is the, the, the you know, to, to steal a, a, a President Biden-ism, uh, you know, the shining, the silver lining in this is, uh, you know, we have a, we, you know, what, what is interesting is we have a, we hear all the talk about New Mexico corruption, the problems, and yes, we have our share of it. Mm -hmm. But we have an attorney general right now who's a Democrat who isn't, you know, he's not doing what people think happens in New Mexico all the time, which is Democrats let Democrats get away with things. Republicans let Republicans get away with things. And both of them turn their guns on each other real quickly. You know, Hector's been an equal opportunity uh, cop in New Mexico, whether it's a Republican doing something wrong or a Democrat doing something wrong. You know, he seems to not hesitate to, you know, follow after, you know, trying to get to the, the end to end result. And so I think, you know, the the one thing I would say in this is it's it's interesting and good, and I think the citizens in New Mexico can feel take somewhat of a of a breath uh, aside that you know there is somebody looking out for their their well being in New Mexico. I don't always agree with the attorney general, but you know 
you got to give kudos to someone. I mean, like he's a Democrat. I'm a Republican. Mm-hmm. You got to give kudos to people when they're doing the job right. So I think that's the silver lining in this. I hope for Cheryl's uh, representative William Stapleton's sake. Uh, I hope that this isn't true. You know, she has a family. Um, you know, she's she's a mother. She's a sister. She's a daughter. She's a friend of people uh, for people. You hope that this isn't true. Uh, if it is, I hope that this they figure a way to bring this to closure sooner rather than later and uh, are able to to move on. And, you know, let's get back to the business that we need to get to. It's it's the one question is, I also think uh, kudos to the uh, superintendent of APS. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about what it must have taken for a superintendent of a school who has a high ranking official in their school district on the leadership team mm-hmm. and is a the high one of the highest ranking uh, legislators in New Mexico. I mean, I'm, I would imagine somewhere in the succession line, the majority leader's got to be somewhere in there. Um, you know, I mean, you're literally second in command in the House of Representatives. And, you know, to have the wherewithal to do an internal investigation, get questionable results, forward them to the Attorney General, uh, didn't do it anonymously, didn't write it off on some committee, yep. didn't have somebody file a complaint like you see lots of times, some outside organization files a complaint so that they can actually go do their job. He wrote a letter and signed his name to it mm-hmm. and said, hey, I think we got a problem here. So kudos to him too. So I think, I think at the end of the day, do we have issues? Clearly. But I think there's also, before all the Mexicans lose all hope, I think the process does necessarily work. It does work. And sometimes it doesn't work fast enough. I mean, since, you know, whenever this has been going on. Um, but, you know, in the end, you know, it seems like uh, justice could be served in this matter. And I just think as we talk about the gloom of what's happened and the, the, the attack of integrity on the on the institutions, mm-hmm. I think we should also take time to recognize two people that I think did yeoman's work in standing up and the attorney general and the superintendent of schools at APS both saying, hey, we got to look into this. And you know, hopefully we'll get an answer sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Good points there, Dan. I appreciate those thoughts. Crystal, you know, when you think about it, that search warrant affidavit included uh, references to criminal investigations of racketeering, money laundering, receiving illegal kickbacks, violations of the previously mentioned Governmental Conduct Act, and that's not the only one as well. Um, where, where does Ms. Stapleton Williams' responsibility lie here in how this moves forward? Should she resign? Immediately, should it look, play out as Dan's saying? It should someone force her hand? I, again, these are gut calls, and it's very hard to assess where, what any one person's thinking. Uh, but what's your sense of it if if you were in the same sure. position? You know, when I when I look at uh, the types of um, situations that business owners, business managers, uh, you know, leaders in the community. You know, they always say that phrase character, a, a, a person's true character shows what happens when nobody's watching. Right. And so that's the only way that I could respond in, in terms of what Ms. Stapleton should do, especially as a respected elected official and people count on her mm-hmm. um, to, re- to, to represent um, their district. And so, you know, I also, as I've been watching this all unfold on social media, of course, you hear, you know, one part to me that was fascinating was how they uncovered it and where the money was potentially doing, like looking at the actual documentation or not actual documentation, but looking at the reports of people reviewing the documentation mm-hmm. of how it, it was a web, right? That's typically how um, business owners uh, have been, um, business owners have been, uh, uh, fraud has been committed against them is a, a web of lies or a web of 
pathways of how money moves from various different entities to another. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, there it, it is a situation that I do agree that she's innocent until proven guilty. And it also might be, what if it was not her? What if it was actually members of her family that just so happened that these employees and her position um, somehow just got attached into it? Whether or not um, whether or not she's um, innocent or guilty, the situation is not pretty to begin with at all. Um, one of the things, though, I also found interesting on social media, too, that has started to I've seen it come up a couple times, especially on Twitter. Um, there's a person that I was um, that I follow in particular that's very involved in political in political work said, sorry, but the investigation and I quote, sorry, but the investigation into Representative Sheriff William Stapleton has a tinge of racism. Mm -hmm. She's innocent until proven guilty. The constant B-roll of a black woman in a nightgown during an, an unnecessary sting operation would lead you to believe that this is an episode of cops like the presentation of it all um is is questioned etc but i think um moving forward of course this is a lesson for those in my generation that want to run for public office this is a classic example of ethics and also um procurement like when when right. when you dangle over $900,000 in front of us uh, as entrepreneurs or as business owners, how do we make sure that we spend that money ethically? And, and I think this is a, a classic case um, that should be taught um, both on the um, legal side and on the business side. Yeah. Lots you know, Gene, one, one, one of the things I was just going to say too, that's going to be because of the governmental conduct act, and, act um, and I'll defer to Didi, and the fact that it happened at APS, I'm not sure we're going to get a fast resolution to this. She runs the potential of losing both her retirements. That's right. She runs the potential of losing her legislative retirement and her teaching retirement. So, you know, this is not this is not one of these things where you can say, um, you know, hey, this will work itself out in a couple of weeks. And, you know, hey, you're going to negotiate whether you got to wear an ankle bracelet or go to jail or whether you're going to do, you know, whether you're going to do community service. I think the bigger question that's going to that's going to come to pass is going to be, I mean, she, she could literally go from somebody who collectively now, you know, I would I would bet with Cheryl's time in the legislature, Representative William Staples time in the legislature, her retirement's probably got to be north of thirty five, forty thousand dollars a year mm -hmm. for a state rep. Mm -hmm. And then her retirement for teaching's probably got to be somewhere around sixty, fifty, sixty thousand mm dollars, -hmm. give or take. I mean, so you're talking about someone potentially going from making ninety thousand dollars a year the rest of their life to making nothing the rest of their life. Well, so I, I think and also you have to think about the, the massive amount of procurement changes that are going to come out of this like procurement's not easy to begin with if you've right. ever gone through procurement and so now APS or or even the state legislature has to go through multiple different hoops to and makes actually you know when you have the complaint of it's hard to do business in the state with the state of New Mexico it's hard to do business with public entities well yeah because of classic cases like this it that's makes right. it difficult that's right and the other thing that's going to be interesting to see what happens to Gene is um and you see what Didi says, not only is this bad in the legislature and not making this about parties or something, either party, but it's also someone who's in a leadership position. Right. So that kind of that kind of highlights it even more. Right. It's one thing to say, hey, we got this junior legislator or the senior legislator who sits on the back bench, yeah. did something they shouldn't do. And everybody just kind of it rolls through the news cycle. I mean, when you're in a leadership position, you're under extreme scrutiny. I think even higher, you know, I, I used to tell when I got elected to whip, I used to, you know, uh, tell people all the time that, you know, when you get elected to the legislature, your responsibilities to your constituents. 
when you choose to run for leadership, your primary responsibility becomes the caucus. Hmm. Your constituents become second. If I you see. don't want to make that, if you don't want to make that commitment, then you shouldn't run for leadership. Because at the end of the day, you got to do things in a leadership position that's best for the caucus that may not serve you as a representative well, as an individual, or your area, but it's for the greater good. So it's going to be interesting to see that this is not only does this put the legislature under a microscope, but now the speaker's got to fi figure out how to deal with someone who's, you know, his right hand person, you know, the, the majority whip. It elevates people in other positions. Now there's going to be a scramble. I mean, there's going to be a scramble for people to try to replace her as leader. You're probably going to go into the next session if it's not figured out where Republicans are going to try to remove her from her leadership position. Right. Yep. And then the question is, is do you get fringe Democrats who didn't support her in the first place join with them? So it, it's going to be a hurdle. But the big one to watch is going to be what happens because of the Governmental Conduct Act. What's going to happen to both her legislative, potentially her legislative retirement and her teaching retirement that could really really be a game changer. Good points there, Dan. And just to catch the folks up, House Speaker Brian Egolf, of course, has referred this case Wednesday to the Interim Legislative Ethics Committee and established an investigative subcommittee that Didi mentioned earlier. Now, that subcommittee will work confidentially, they said, but its report will be public if a sanction is recommended. That's interesting. The next potential step will be a trial-like proceeding conducted in public before the eight House members of the larger Interim Legislative Ethics Committee. And that goes to Dan's point that this thing could go on. Dee, please, I see your finger up there. Yes, you have a point. Mm -hmm. yes. This is just the beginning. Yep. This is just the beginning. Now, uh, those, uh, those legislative uh, hearings will be cut short if she resigns. Gotcha. Um, so that will, you know, but I'm sure that the Democratic caucus in the House is scrambling and probably meeting this week uh, to find out uh, what to do in the interim mm -hmm. before, um, before th there have been no charges brought That's yet. right. Good point. Good. As we tape this, that's a fair point. And don't forget, guys, too, there is a last step to this that would be, I think Dee's point, it might be more comfortable for Ms. Stapleton to resign because it would go in front of the full body after it comes out of committee in a special, either a special session or during the regular. Do we want to go through this during the regular in January? I mean, well, you got to remember too. You got to remember as well, Gene. This mm -hmm. is a seat that's a Democrat seat, so District uh, Nineteen. Talking, that's right. Mm -hmm. Talking politically, the resignation. So, I, I would think, and I'm not an attorney by any means whatsoever, uh, but I have had my time having to pay attorneys to keep me out of trouble. So I understand this. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you, right now, I would bet she's having a conversation with her attorneys, trying to figure out how much evidence she, there is against her. Then her attorney is probably having a conversation with her saying, OK, look, on the worst case scenario, you're guilty. What do we do? And so, you know, she's I, I would assume her initial response is going to be, I need to save my retirement. Mm -hmm. That's the deal. Mm -hmm. So there's the conversations about resigning. The resignation part's not a big deal because it's a single county seat. The Democrats control the Bernalillo County Commission. You, you know, if she resigns tomorrow, there's going to be a Democrat take that seat. That's if right. this was somebody that was in a bi-county district that was a split district, you'd have another battle on your hands, right? If you had yeah. a Democrat leaving, are you going to get a Republican from the county commission? Yep. It'll be an easy slide in for whomever uh, takes that seat should she choose to resign. Um, they they won't miss, they won't hit, they, they won't, you know, it'll just be a bump in the road. Legislatively, I'm saying. Gotcha. What if, what if, you know, Representative, you know, what if she comes in and says, like, 
you know, everything that I did wasn't wrong. It was just a method, method of practice or a method of, of, of making sure. What if she was advised by a, a poorly chosen CPA that everything that she was doing to put the money in, in different directions? What if she actually feels like she's in the right about all of this? And it was just a, no. an innovative way of funding her business. We don't know no, what's going to happen. No, which no, is, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Which is not to say that it is correct or not, but you know, I, that's why I think that the, the if there is a chance that she would resign, if there's a chance that she would not resign, it was because of a logical thinking where she might just be so convinced that that the situation that she has in front of her was an okay way of doing business. I, I, I hear your theory. I hear trouble. I hear that, Crystal. But honestly, as I'm reading it, the only other people that are in her universe are other family members yep, doing yep, this. Exactly. It's not as if well, there's that also part, but that's also part of the that's mm -hmm. also part of the negotiations, right? Remember on the impeachment with our state auditor, um, we had to impeach the state auditor at that time. You know, I was in the legislature, Didi was in the legislature. Um, I think I don't I think we're allowed to talk about all of that stuff now. First of all, we were sworn to secrecy, yes. but I was amazed at how many times reporters would ask me questions about things we just discussed that I was like, I, I haven't even comprehended that, and wow. you know about it. Huh. The second thing was he held firm. That he was not resigning even though there was a video of him taking money in the parking lot and so you know i don't expect representative stapleton to resign are you talking about mr vigil with the yes. infamous envelopes yep. in the car okay yep. gotcha i don't i don't expect her to resign tomorrow regardless of guilt or not right because it's going to be a leveraging discussion about can I, you know how do i keep this how do i do it that right. way um, at the end of the day, the ultimate goal, I think, for Representative William Stapleton clearly has to be one, I would say even ahead of potentially doing any type of jail time, is got to be maintaining your retirement, right? I mean, even if you go to jail for three or five years, you don't want right. to come out that's and right. have no money. I mean, that's, that's you know, it's hard if, if you are guilty mm -hmm. and your whole background is, you know, having to get a license IE teach, teaching, which you're not going to be able to get now that you're a felon. That's right. And you're going to come out and try to figure out how do I start over from ground ground yeah. zero. I, I think the biggest discussion is going to be how do you protect the retirement? Number one, two, how do you stay out of jail? Guys, last question. Well, we got we got to bail out of this. But are we done naming buildings after elected people? <laughs> are we done with this? I mean. Oh. So I used to, I introduced a bill every year that got me in trouble. Mm -hmm. I said you could not name anything in New Mexico after any living official and or someone currently holding office. I, I voted did, for it. I yep. voted for it and I was the only Democrat to vote. I think it. it's a horrible deal to nominate, to, to name things after people that are currently serving anywhere at any time. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's the epitome of megalomaniacs mm -hmm. to name stuff after yourself while you're you're serving. I, I we had a bill Didi these that she voted for. We had bills multiple times that would never get passed that would say, listen, you can't name anything after your family, yourself, anybody while you're an elected official. It's gotta be we even put a time and said you couldn't name anything after anybody. I think it was five years or ten years after they passed away. Um wow. you know, so you could have some time to let that <laughs> history percolate. But yeah, this is this naming of stuff after yourself is, it's its par course for New Mexico, right, Didi? Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to have to see how it all plays out. That's for sure. We'll have to wrap it up there. Thanks, you guys. Thank you so much for this so, bit of an extra special uh, deal here. Joining us now, don't forget, New Mexico in Focus airs Friday nights and Sunday mornings right here on New Mexico PBS, and we will be tracking this particular story as the weeks and months go along. So don't go away.
hinted at it earlier, but uh, if you're saying we are done with the pandemic, this week was a stark reminder that that could not be further from the truth. If you pay attention to the daily case counts here in New Mexico, you will notice they are pretty sharply on the rise. We had days up in the 400 new cases, uh, and again, most of those health officials will tell you are of the unvaccinated people. And there's been the strong push for people to get vaccinated. We have done a lot of coverage of possible mandates. We talked recently to UNM, who said that they were not going to require vaccines, but that if you were not vaccinated, you would have to wear a mask. Coming back this fall, APS, or the Department of Public Education, actually came out with recommendations that APS uh, had said they were going to follow that had to do with um, children younger than middle school age who cannot be vaccinated, that they would need to continue to wear masks indoors. But if you were vaccinated uh, in middle school, high school, you were going to be able to go without masks indoors. Uh, but then the CDC came out this week with new recommendations as they have new research and evidence that shows that vaccinated people can uh, transmit the disease. And so in an effort to get the Delta variant under control, because that's what a lot of these cases are, they were recommending that everybody go back to wearing masks, except for outdoors, I believe. And so APS made the shift there. U UNM made the shift. So starting Monday, UNM employees will have to be masked indoors. Uh, so just a slew of developments here and uh, lots to digest, lots of moving pieces but wanted to get the line opinion panelists' thoughts on that and how officials, school officials, state officials, uh, business officials are, are sort of parsing out this information and trying to make the best decisions possible so that we don't head towards another shutdown. Here again, Gene Grant and the line opinion panel. Feelings of optimism we might have had this summer about a return to something approaching pre-pandemic normalcy have taken a hit in recent weeks. First, the new school year won't be entirely free of masks or precautions. Second, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have reissued recommendations for masks, even among vaccinated people. That, as the ultra-contagious Delta variant makes a resurgence. To parse out what it means and what, it might, what might be ahead, is our line opinion panel. Former state Senator Steedy Feldman joins us this week as one of our line regulars, as does former Heist Minority Whip Daniel Foley. Glad to have him back. And founder of Sierra Social Digital, Crystal Sierra, is our guest this week. Now, Didi, the CDC's recommendation, which the state of New Mexico is following, is for places with rising transmission and infections. That's some, but not all, of New Mexico, as we know. Aren't these the same places that have been resistant to masks that we're seeing this rise? Yes, uh, they, they are. Mm -hmm. uh, Eddie County in particular uh, has been uh, resistant to masks. But I listened to Dr. Scrace yesterday mm -hmm. in his uh, news conference, and he said that New Mexico would be following the CDC guidelines, uh, which, ma which uh, require masks or which suggests masks in areas of high uh, transmission, especially and it, uh, due to the Delta variation. Mm -hmm. And in New Mexico, he said he would recommend that, and although you can see this, those certain counties, he recommended uh, everyone be wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. 
vaccinated or unvaccinated because the um, transmission of the Delta, uh, the Delta variety is so, um, is so severe and our cases are spiking back to even a level that um, existed back in March, mm-hmm. uh, that he, he recommends that everybody, of course, get vaccinated. And this is an epidemic uh, that of the unvaccinated, that's who's getting sick. But uh, even people who have had vaccinations can transmit this that's new right. variant. That's right. So he's, 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 his was a blanket uh, recommendation for the whole state, not just specific counties. Good points there. Daniel, I got to ask, though, I got to hone in places like Carlsbad, Hobbs, Roswell. I mean, you're down there. You know these folks. Is this mask recommendation going to get anywhere or what's what's the no. way to get it? So <clears throat> the way to get it mm-hmm. is, you know, first of all, first of all, I'm vaccinated. Okay. Uh, I got vaccinated. I had COVID and I got vaccinated not got vaccinated and had COVID. I think this whole thing uh, from the get-go has been a public relations disaster across the country from the get-go. I mean, you know, we're just, you know, you're, you're talking to people, you know, you got to look at the people. When you talk about Chavez County, Eddy County, yep. Lee County, these are people who are already Otero County, already have a sense of distrust of the government in the first place. Right, wrong, or indifferent, they have it. And so when you start giving them anything to feed the seeds of doubt, you're going to get what you're getting now. And when you're having the whole, you know, look, nobody's going to get it if you get vaccinated to now you're going to get it to maybe you're going to get it to, you know, whether you've got, you know, just even yesterday you had the the CDC director saying that, you know, that, oh, it's there's a one in 10 chance uh, if you have the vaccine that you will get the disease. Well, that's not what the numbers say. The numbers say it's one out of a thousand. So, I mean, it's just, there's just all this stuff that so many people, and I think, you know, and again, I'm not blaming any one party. I think there's equal blame across the board. They've, you know, to, to quote Rahm Emanuel, never let a crisis go to waste. Mm-hmm. And I think both people, both parties, both everybody involved in politics saw this crisis and seized an opportunity. And I think now the American people, I think an overwhelming number of them are just absolutely overwhelmed. Let me get to, and they're not sure, they're not sure what to do. And, and you start talking about folks in Southeast and New Mexico that are already about That's independence, right. leave them That's alone. Right. They're not going to buy into it. That's right. Good point. But Crystal, there's a matter of fairness, isn't it? I mean, you know, we all have the choice to do or not do anything we want, but this is an issue of fairness. You're in the business of persuasion. How do we persuade people that, you know, masking up is going to be good for them as well as everybody else? Well, I think it's kind of funny, and I say this very sarcastically and with love to Dan Foley, but it's nice to know that you're a public relations practitioner too with us. <laughs> and so, and and when we talk about, you know, in the subject of fairness, yeah, I, I think the biggest lesson that we've all learned from this is that um, we're at the mercy of science at this point. No, no public relations practitioner can take a crisis and plan for something unexpected when the data and the research is still coming out about the science of the virus. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, it puts us in a position where, you know, it's it, it as, as it often happens that one person, one person that might get that might get COVID ruins it for the rest of the herd, right? And that's what's happening now. And and even seeing Republican lawmakers going back on their thoughts about the vaccine itself, saying that the vaccine should be um, inoculated in everybody's arms and everybody should get the vaccine. Um, it's it was 
we're at the point now where if the CDC put a recommendation a year ago, we didn't trust it. Now we're at the point of the CDC is putting a recommendation out. And as much as we hate it, we know that we have to do what we have to do to get over this because we're all tired of these new, these changes, these mask mandates, et cetera. But we know that I think now our society is so used to the unpredictability at this point, not to mention that we're the one of the only few countries that's actually um, uh, used to actually life now without COVID or uh, with less of COVID in the, in, in the, in the general spaces, like even watching the Olympics over the last week, not seeing crowds and, and not seeing people participate. It's so foreign to us now Mm -hmm. uh, after, you know, being okay to start walking around without a mask since um, June. That's a fair point. I appreciate that. And it's uh, only been three weeks. Remember how fast these things are changing. It's yeah. only three weeks since New Mexico came out of, uh, you know, a virtual lockdown. Well, yeah. Didi, Didi, let me stay with you. Cast forward three weeks and we got school coming back in for a lot of folks. Santa Fe goes back August 6th. APS is right around that time. And we just had an announcement from my employer, University of New Mexico here. Mm-hmm that their guidance is now back to masks for everyone indoors, vaccinated or not. Let's talk about back to school. What have you seen so far that it gives you comfort that we can actually pull this off? Or are you concerned that we can get back to school given what we know now? Well, um, I think that um, it's been a rather awkward position for the the PED, the public education, department to have put out guidance that uh, middle and high school students didn't need to wear masks if they were vaccinated. And then the CDC came out with its recommendations so that they they haven't actually backtracked on that yet, but they will. And APS is the harbinger uh, because uh, APS just indicated that all students will need to wear masks indoors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think what's happened here is that we've had the honor system and the honor system has not worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people who have not been vaccinated are not wearing masks. So um, if we don't, uh, if our rates don't come down and uh, if something doesn't happen, um, what's, what's, what's next is maybe some sort of a mandate. Uh-huh. Uh, that people get vaccinated yes. at UNM, which they turn down, uh, or uh, if they are employed by the federal government, which, you know, everyone's been kind of expecting that announcement because the Veterans Administration, <coughs> excuse me, has mandated that. Yep. New York, California, uh, that may be next. Meaning, let me kind of flesh that a little bit for folks who may not know what Dee is going to here. Basically, they're required, if you're unvaccinated, you're going to have to test every week or even more often to go to some work in some of these places. And uh, Dan, does that feel like a leap too far? I mean, let me, let me I mean, put it in this context here, though. Are we missing the forest here, so to speak? The kids are going to be back in class. You know, it's somewhat normal, isn't it not? Can we get through this? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, there's no doubt that I think there's a parallel conversation to have here, right? One is, 
you know, what is COVID doing and the effects? The other one is how we're responding and reacting to it. You know, here we are having this conversation about making kids wear masks in school. And yet even the own CDC's information says, look, these young kids are not a problem. It's not hurting these young kids. It's not, you know, but yet the answer is, well, put them in a mask. And so, you know, I don't know. I've got four kids. They're grown now. I can't imagine telling my third grade kid he's got to wear a mask all day while he's sitting in class. You couldn't get him to sit in a chair for 20 minutes. Well, that's the case. 12 recommendation that's just reality well, I know. right and now so, so so i think that you know i think we we hear people say all the time we should follow the science mm -hmm. then you look at the science and we're making decisions that don't follow the science on certain things so it makes people say well if you're not using the science to follow that decision then what science are you using to make this decision which brings me back to the whole you know it's just it's a it's crazy right i mean we right now the the theory is right now the word is there's over a third of the united states military that hasn't gotten vaccinated so, I mean, you're going to start telling everybody in America as a kid, they got to get vaccinated. But, you know, you've got they, they can say what they want. There's there's a fight right now in California from both. the I think it's the, the prison guards union. And I think there's another public employees union saying you can't make us get vaccinated. We're mm -hmm. not you can't make us get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And so these edicts but, but, are but, coming I have out. A but. I have a but. Hang on. Hang sure. on. I have a but. And I'm going to toss it to Crystal. Um, France vaccine passports, Germany, vaccine passports. You're not, you can't walk in the door. Uh, they're not doing the honor system. You're gonna, have, you're gonna have to show something or you're not getting in the door. Are we headed that way? I mean, is there something, a step that could be taken in that direction that's palatable to Americans? How, how could we possibly pull that off? Um, I think we go back to, so we talked about the decision-making um, mm -hmm. behind a lot of the d different institutions, businesses, and back to Dan's point, like, you know, people are swaying and making decisions be because the science is not, uh, uncertain situations because of science. We always goes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Safety and security, mm -hmm. safety and security of our people, the safety and security of our staff, especially here at, at our company, and the safety and security of, of our families that we go home to at the end of the day. And so safety and security for, you know, in places like Germany and France, where they're putting these mandates, it's, it's the government's way of showing safety and security for all of the individuals that live within that country. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, we still have- they are, getting, they are getting protests in Paris. They, they, yeah, and I mean, of course there's always gonna be feedback because people don't wanna do things like that. But if you think about it, right, if there's mandates like curfews over at native reservations, it's because of the safety and security, right, of a, of a nation not being wiped out because of uh, of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, of course, there's going to be um, complaining and moaning about um, mandates of, of this sort. But, uh, you know, back to Didi's point, that if the mandates are not, if people are, are working on the honor system um, or not uh, are not complying with the honor system or the thoughts of an honor system, um, then, you know, it, we have to take uh, matters into the hands of, of the individuals. And, mm -hmm. and one of the things we also see, too, especially in our nation, is that wrap up real quick. we see how, and, and, and I'll, I'll make it quick. So we, we see how things go on a micro level. We see that employers are starting to, to mandate vaccines within their employees mm -hmm. or in, in, within their workforces among their employees. And then we start to see it go on a citywide level on or on a county level and then eventually to go nationwide. That's the nature of the course of America mm -hmm. is that we start small, then the mandates go big. And I would anticipate something like this for like a, va a vaccine passport of some sort. Good points there. We're out of time. This group kicks around another topic, public financing for New Mexico United Soccer Stadium in just a few minutes. Well, the big headline for before COVID and Representative Cheryl Williams Stapleton was the announcement that uh, a feasibility study had been done and that the city council next week will take up the issue of whether or not 
to help fund a multi-use stadium that will first and foremost be the home of New Mexico United, our USL soccer team here in New Mexico that has become quickly beloved in uh, and around the state. But there have been um, some chirpings about whether or not public dollars should be used for the stadium, where the stadium would be located if it leads to gentrification of those neighborhoods, a whole lot to consider. We will, of course, continue to follow this. And I mentioned the city council, Albuquerque City Council, will take this up at a Monday meeting. So we'll have much more on all of that. But wanted to get the line opinion panelists' thoughts on the stadium and what sort of impact it would have and whether or not this is the right approach to take. So, once again, the line opinion panel. Somos unidos. We are all united. In Albuquerque, that might be especially true if voters in November approve a proposed bond for a soccer stadium. That, while being billed as a multi-use stadium, will most notably be home for the city's successful professional soccer team, New Mexico United. Now, Mayor Tim Keller and team owner Peter Trevisani made the announcement at last weekend's game against El Paso and Crystal. I think you were there and you're a huge supporter of the team. I got to ask you this right off the top. We got to have a conversation about this. How do you feel? She remembers even being at the game. <laughs> I actually was not at that game. Oh, you I weren't at that game. Okay. I was not at the game. No, gotcha. not that time. All right. Let me, ask, let, me, let me ask you this, Crystal. Public financing. Is this the appropriate way to go about this? Yeah, you know, yes, I do think that public financing is the appropriate way to do this. People Why? forget that some of our major um, event centers like Tingley Coliseum um, is owned by the state of New Mexico, Rio Rancho Event Center, that on a good year, according to the mayor, even goes negative a million dollars in terms of, of loss. Um, most of the major event centers that are here in town, it, it in the key phrase that, you know, yes, the legislative teams and, and politicians use, but really it, it is the best definition. It's it's a public and private partnership. And that's the really critical piece that people forget. Is Albuquerque ready for another multi-use stadium? Absolutely. Um, our organization at Sierra always constantly does events before the pandemic, of course. And I can't tell you how many times there is an event going on almost every damn weekend here in New Mexico that it, it can be statewide, it can be local. In New Mexico United, not Albuquerque, New Mexico United um, purposely brings the entire state together to help uh, build around the community of soccer. It was it was Ron Patel, it was Lauren, uh, Lawrence Espinosa. Right, let, let, me, let me ask you, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta buzz through, I don't wanna, be, I don't wanna be rude. I got a buzz, I got a buzz through some folks here on this idea of uh, sure. public financing. I hear your points there, the PR points. Um, DD public finance it. Is it appropriate? I mean, let's let's put it this way. We have an ownership group that is not willing to risk any of their own capital on a stadium. But yet again, they're going to be able to clean up on some of the the largesse of that of that partnership. Is this the appropriate way to go? Well, I think in this case it is. Mm -hmm. I would have a different answer if we're talking about the Denver Broncos and uh, the and subsidizing the Denver Broncos with a huge stadium and and, and the Broncos threatening to leave the city mm -hmm. if they didn't uh, if they didn't get this kind of public financing. But um, having said that, you know, the city has to be cautious. Uh, there have been uh, many proposals for um, downtown stadiums da dating back to the festival marketplace mm -hmm. and, uh, and many others. Um, 
and you know the public monies i mean and we're talking here about 75 million dollars to construct the stadium and then the team would rent the stadium from the from the city which mm -hmm. would float bonds in order to finance it um that you know it's it's a you know there are a lot of ifs ands or buts about that mm -hmm. what if the team doesn't do so well one year um will they be paying their rent uh will there is how where does ticket sales play into that uh, are they are there a certain amount of those that are guaranteed mm -hmm. in this case i think that it's a good bet and we really need it at this time in our city and state's history why, why? because there are very few things that bring us together in the way that this young new team and sport has done. A how, how big is the us? This is this is what I want to know. I hear this whole thing about statewide and we and us. Is it really that big? I mean, Dan, let me ask you this, or is this more of an illusion because the team's new? It's exciting. How big, honestly, is this for a $70 million stadium, which yeah, I might so remind you, but hold on. I'll remind everybody, we're talking about no less than 20 home games a year. Less than 20, okay? So $70 million. Let's, let's think about this. All right, Daniel, back to my question. Go yeah, ahead. So, 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 so the first thing, let me say this, Gene. I, I am, I'll applaud what they're doing from the standpoint of they're putting it to the voters. Mm -hmm. This is not being done in some backroom deal and all of a sudden we're finding out about it. The voters are going to decide. So that's the greatest form of democracy, you know, that we've got. You know, if the voters of this, of this city think it's so, do I, how do I think it affects New Mexico? So, Gene, I think you're looking at it from one lens, which is not wrong, even though you're wrong most of the time. This one, you're not. Um, it's 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 uh, it's from the standpoint of that people traveling from out of the out of the city, right, coming to buy tickets, supporting uh, New Mexico United. But I, I think that it is a state team because they are on a stage. They are walking around with the name New Mexico United, not Albuquerque United. So I do think it gives some some opportunity for there to be a state buy-in. Um, I think that you know there the one the other thing that I do think is good about soccer is look these guys can start winning and go on a streak and they can keep moving up in the classes and sure. you know you could wind up someday with an MSL soccer team here mm -hmm. for for not a lot of money. So and that's part of um, the play you know, to build the stadium is it's yes, sort of that right. just in case it happens. Up. And, Crystal, and, let me and, ask and, let me and, ask and Crystal this. Daniel, Gina, Gina, that's what I say is the stadium huh? can be used by more than just as they're saying, but you don't forget discount. And I'm a football fan. You know that gene. Yeah. Don't discount the fact that we got a pretty good, we've had a pretty good soccer program in the past at the university of New Mexico that played on the back of a track deal. Thank so you. if we bring back soccer at New university of New Mexico, who was nationally ranked by the way, and give them a facility like this, now you're hosting NCAA tournaments. So I see an opportunity for it, but I just wanted to point let, that out. Crystal, gene, let, me, let me, let me ask you this, Crystal. We've got two locations. You've got the plan there. I saw it on your lap a second ago. We've got second, and iron coal and broadway's got everyone lit up when you can picture your mind's eye coal and broadway let me ask you this what what happens this has to go before council and what happens if council decides to take a free market approach to this and say okay guys united here's what we're going to do here you don't want to assume any risk here you don't get to pick where it's going to be the stadium but you also don't get to open what we know you're going to do here is a snazzy giant new united bar like this giant thing that's going to be on the site that's guaranteed to happen because mr travasini says he wants to be in the development side of this thing as well what if, what happens if council says you know what guys 
If you say this is going to revitalize downtown, why don't you put your big new bar downtown and we'll let, we'll let that be the end of the rainbow down there because you're yeah, not putting I any mean, money into this thing. Is, is that a reasonable proposition? Yeah, I would imagine if city council said no or had any type of hesitation, you bet that the curse, the set piece ultras, the black diamonds, all the types of supporters groups that are out there that have no ounce of experience whatsoever in politics are going to be showing up in the council chambers without a doubt. Because it's remember that the the what makes a team a team, like what makes a franchise a franchise is the fans. And the fact that it was a great idea for them to put um, Mayor Keller and Peter on the back of a truck, not in a press conference. They put them in the heart of the fans to cheer on for this project. Why is that it a great idea? Why? Yeah, yeah, it was a great idea. Because why? Of the, why, 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 why? Oh, because of the PR opportunities, obviously, because all of a sudden, when, especially when you think about whenever us, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, campaign managers or whatever it is, mm -hmm. they need to show that there's a supporter base and they need to show that there's a fan or a group of stakeholders that are in favor of a certain project of mm -hmm. some sort, basics of politics, right? They already have one built in. And there's a lot of them in that supporter section that sits on, you know, section 201 and 202 every single game, at least 200 to 500 people easily. And that's why this stadium is so unique is because it actually builds a bigger capacity for stadiums because uh, for uh, the supporter section in the stadium and the supporter section, I know I'm sounding like such a fan girl right now. I hear nothing. I hear nothing in yeah, your yeah. tape. The supporter hey, sections hey, are Crystal. really going to be the people that drive the revenue. Crystal, and, and, and I hear, I hear, I hear nothing. I hear nothing in your rap that supports the neighborhood and their needs. It's all oh. about the fans. All right, all right, oh, hang on, hang on. The administration says the August second meeting will have um, uh, a comprehensive look at the city's proposal for taxpayer funding. So we're going to check it out when that happens. Thanks to all our panelists for their work this week. Be sure to head to our Facebook page for more discussion from the group, including initial reactions to the surprise news this week that investigators from the Attorney General's office raided the home and business of longtime state lawmaker and House Minority Floor Leader Cheryl Williams Stapleton. Rural health care has been an issue we have covered for a long time here on the show, and especially doctor shortages in some of our smallest rural communities. And there was good news out recently in, in on that front, which we know uh, with the COVID pandemic, just how crucial and important that rural health care, community health care system is across a state like New Mexico, so big, so spread out, and so many of these small communities. And uh, the UNM Health Sciences and and uh, the educators there have been working hard for years now to get the uh, doctors that they train and that do the residencies here in New Mexico to stay in New Mexico. And it seems to be paying off. The most recent batch of graduates, uh, a majority of them are staying in New Mexico, and that includes folks who didn't even come to school or didn't even live here when they went to school at UNM or participate in the residency as a native of New Mexico. So we wanted to find out what is the secret sauce of sorts to get folks to stay and work and practice in family health here in New Mexico. And so our senior producer, Matt Grubbs, sat down with some of the people behind it, as well as a recent graduate, graduate to find out what is making the difference. Here now is that conversation. <laughs> 